Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. That's uh, Chivalry, all episodes streaming now on all four. Uh, you, you would have recognised Steve Coogan's voice at least. Uh, James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. His co-star, Sarah Salamani, who's she? So she's an Iranian-British actress and she has like the kind of, you know, uh, CV of all British people who are successful in that they went to uh, Cambridge and were in Footlights <laughs> and she started her own, she started her own, um, She she her, her probably best known comedy is a show called His and Hers from a, a good few years ago, probably 10 years ago at this point with mm. Russell Tovey. I think it was like an original BBC Three thing. But she and Steve Coogan starred together in this movie called Greed, which is about... Ah, uh, yeah. I think it's Wasn't Philip great. Green, that yeah. guy. Uh, it's kind of like a, like a riff on his life, the Topshop mm. guy. And while they were filming this in, I think, oh, whenever it was, uh, three years ago, uh, they had these debates between the pair of them about the Me Too movement. And they decided that they would write a sitcom about the Me Too movement. And in it, uh, she plays Bobby, who is this kind of indie darling director who everyone meets and says, I loved your movie, I loved your movie, and then say it was really boring. <laughs> or like, you know, <laughs> so like she's directed this boring, but uh, worthy. important, yeah. worthy movie. And uh, he's a kind of sleazy, but not terrible uh, producer. And they come together to do the reshoots on this like erotic uh, erotic drama about the Third Reich and uh, honey trap women <laughs> in the Third Reich the actress of which is played uh, like the star is Lark who's played by Sienna Miller and uh, Bobby agrees to come on board to you know direct the, the reshoots of this troubled production and that from there spins out a kind of uh, a treatise a comedic treatise on the Me Too movement in various different ways now here's the thing it uh, like comedies have there's been this like schism in comedy or in certainly in in sitcoms anyway in the mm. last probably 10 years definitely where they either go in one of two directions they're either like saccharinely sweet in a kind of the office or uh, you know parks and recreation and the best example of late is Abbott Elementary which is this new show about an elementary school in in America uh, where they're really funny but they're really really sweet or they're really miserable <laughs> and not very funny. And this leans far more towards the miserable and not very funny part. It's much more successful as like a drama, as a dramedy than it is yeah, really yeah. as a comedy, yeah. right? So you kind of just need to accept that going in, that if it's like, you know, guess what? They didn't make a hilarious, sweet comedy about the Me Too movement, yeah. <laughs> right? But... um the more I watched it, the more I liked it, right? So I, I was a bit cold in the kind of the first two episodes. First of all, from a, a purely, like a, a purely uh, just production and maybe pedantic way, it was definitely filmed in LA and in the back lots of, of various studios and you get some big cameos. Wanda Sykes is a recurring role in every episode, but um, there's John C. Riley and Paul Rudd, as we heard mm. in the clip there. Uh, but then all the other sort of bit parts in the show are play, played by kind of British stars and I will put Ashling B quote unquote like she's obviously Irish yeah, but yeah. In, in that milieu right 
who are all doing these like kind of bad American accents. Yeah, hers isn't great. They really need, didn't need to do that. Yeah, no. right. And like, and even one of the guys, there's like this hunk, right, who's who uh, who's used to be on Coronation Street doing it like an American accent, <laughs> oh, really? right? Is he the guy who's the stand-in? Yes. In? yes. Yeah. Oh my right? God. So like, you know, I was sort of watching it, and it, it was a bit like watching an episode of Neighbors or something where they just use the same set they've used for like, uh, you know, they just turn the camera around and, and move to a different angle and light it a different way. Mm. And if felt a bit like they had filmed this like in somewhere in like Wales or somewhere and then <laughs> went off Steve Coogan and Sarah Solomani went off on a like a little trip to the Hollywood Hills for a few you know external shots but it, it really really grew on me right and the other thing is it's nice and short and easy going so it's only 20 minutes each there and what is exceptionally good is their chemistry with each other and I think Steve Coogan kind of doesn't get enough credit for being a really good actor because you know, he, he he invented this absolutely iconic British comedy character, uh, you know, Alan Partridge. And when he plays Alan Partridge, which he does very often, he um, like he is in that role so completely. He like he is living Alan Partridge, if mm. you get me. And he's able to bring that to other characters as well. So Cameron, the producer he plays, is he, his performance is excellent as him and he, he's very he's not like a complete other sleazeball but he's he's a bit of an old school producer at the same time so like their chemistry their chemistry is excellent how he how they both sort of fulfil their role is interesting I just wanted it to be more funny and then like there's a part where they go off on this sort of I think it's the penultimate of uh, the fifth of six episode episodes they go on another tangent that's kind of about cancel culture and for me, it was a bit like trying to have their cake and eat it too. You know, it was a bit mm. like, OK, look, do you want to make a show about what do you want to make a show about here? Right. Like, do you want to cover every possible sort of Hollywood potential storyline or do you want to make a story about me too? Right. Like maybe stick to one lane here because they have this one episode about cancel culture invol- involving Wanda Sykes and her maid. And it it is it, it comes too late in the show to be really meaningful but also it's not explored. It's only explored in this one 20 minute episode. And if they think they can sort of, <laughs> you know, shine a light or or make some daring or interesting critique of cancel culture in one sort of plot of one episode, then they can't, in my mm, opinion. Yeah. But I liked it on the whole. And I, I, I'd be interested to see where it goes, because as I said, the pair of them, Sarah Soleimani and, and Steve Coogan, they have such good chemistry. There are times where it's very, very funny. Uh, it, it, it's a bit like you know when he did with Rob Brydon you know the, the trip around various places mm. it's not maybe as improvised as that and it's certainly not as much of a two-hander as that but it it definitely draw, you could draw some parallels to that and when it is good it is really good and when it's grand it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah. I I watched a couple of them last night, and it wasn't it, like the Cameron character, Steve Coogan, even though it's like you know he just split up, he split up with his life partner, <laughs> yes. who turns out was twenty five and his assistant. But yes. I loved her, and even when he says things like that, you don't hate him. No, uh, you for don't, some odd reason, yes. and uh, that he's is, kind of more sad. Than, he is more yeah. sad, yes, and and I mean her life is a bit stereotypical as well, right? Like she's she, so that scene where she's talking to the previous director, and he keeps saying prostitute. She goes sex worker, yeah. prostitute, sex worker. <laughs> 
<laughs> she's righteous, right? Yeah, and, very and, much. But also, like, she's a struggling mother, and can she have it all? And like, is her marriage happy? And blah, mm. you know, there's there's a few. Well, does she ever meet that bloke that she talks to on the phone all the <laughs> she time? She does. Yes. Is that the, her husband That's or her father husband. of her child? Right. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, it is her husband. Sorry, yeah. and the father of her child as well. Yes. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, like it, it, it's the kind of thing that you could watch it all in one sitting, which is pretty much what I did. Yeah. And it's probably best enjoyed maybe in one sitting. They maybe could have made an excellent like you know two hour movie out of this if they just took out the episode about cancel culture which adds nothing to the dynamic of the mm-hmm. story but there lots of it I really liked like Sienna Miller has kind of maybe two scenes in the whole thing her introductory scene where she's this kind of pissed off actress uh, in her trailer is excellent yeah. and of all the American accents I guess she's probably been doing them for a while so hers is the most polished of all so it's worth a trial run, I definitely think. Ah, yeah. And I liked it more than I didn't like it. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Ashley B was just like Ashley B putting on an American accent. <laughs> or it was even like her own accent but with an ever so tiny little twang on it. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Like she was trying to... Uh, though the idea of her character was funny in that she was the, the, the sex police, whatever they yes, called it. the it, intimacy it, it coordinator, or yeah. whatever. But she was... She had to... Re, she re, it was the only thing she could retrain at during COVID. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. Sorry, I'm giving away too, uh, too much there. Uh, somebody wants to know no, James, uh, if uh, if uh, raised by wolves is on his radar, I read Scott produced. I'm captivated by the show. Would love to hear James's opinion. Says John from Leash. So the I watched. Yeah, I haven't seen the second season at all. Even though I know it's been on um, like Sky Atlantic here for about a month, probably now at this point. I was hot and cold on the first season in the sense that I started watching it and was cold but grew to like it more with each episode that I watched and it's this kind of odd sci-fi robot android uh, Mm. thing where set on another planet in the future with also this kind of bizarre cultish stuff going on and it's a big um, like it's a big break for Neve Algar the Irish actress who plays kind of one of the main central roles in it and the Danish I can't remember what her name is the Danish actress who plays the android is, yeah, is spectacular yeah. and I, I would like to get back to it but I just haven't gotten back to it yet but it's definitely the kind of thing that like if you're interested in sci-fi definitely give it a go but for me it I had to watch kind of the whole season to get a good run of it the first time round. I, I think I watched the first episode. I wish they'd given a recap because I couldn't remember who did <laughs> yeah. what to who, you yeah. know. Definitely loads of annoying children as well, I will yeah. say. <laughs> it's serious bang of Alien off it though. It would True. kind of yes, very yes. much like Alien. Right, our next show is called Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls all episode of season one now streaming on Amazon Prime. Here's a clip. I've scoured the country to find the best full-figure dancers with talent who deserve the world stage. And the response was unbelievable. Thousands of girls submitted their auditions. Girls that look like me, who can really dance and can also bring their story to the stage with me. I've narrowed it down to 13 girls. I want to bring them to L.A. and see if they got what it takes to be a big girl dancer. Now, are you ready for that jiggle, that wiggle, and everything in the middle? It's time to show the world how we do it. Watch out for the big girls. 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 There you go. Uh, it gives you pretty much the gist of it, really. I, I would yeah. have thought is, uh, there's not much to be left to say about it. Uh, there's actually one quite surprising thing to be left to be said about it, right? So this is obviously like a reality competition show and there are no shortage of reality competition shows mm. for every possible thing. And this is for plus size dancers, right? But what is perhaps the most remarkable or thing that I didn't see coming with it was I was expecting it, you know, we heard Lizzo there, this really, really famous American pop star. Uh, 
And I've seen her live show. I saw her when she played in Dublin in the Olympia and it was like this magical concert because she'll never play a venue that small like ever again. <laughs> and the big girls were on stage and they are her backing dancers and they are fuller figured ladies and they, boy, do they stomp the, you know, stomp <clears> around the place. And in that introductory bit there, she goes on to say that, you know, at the end of her concert, people come up to her and say like, you know, oh, I don't know how you do it. I got breathless just looking at you. And why are they saying that to me? Because clearly I could do it because I just did it for the last three hours. They're yeah. only saying that because I'm a bigger girl, right? So I thought this was just going to be a, you know, Lizzo's got these 13 girls. She's going to eliminate them week by week and eventually be left with one who will become her backup dancer. But actually, that's not it at all. She uh, the the novelty of this is that when she has the the thirteen girls, she does eliminate two in the first episode. Uh, it's not well. I won't say one of them. Something else happens to another one, which I won't explain. But the remaining ten are all told. Okay, you're now going to go through a, a, a basically a series long audition, and if you can do what we ask you to do. I guarantee you a spot in my troop at the end of this. So there's not a weekly elimination. Like it's not a kind of, it's a process of this is a prolonged audition to be part of her, um, to be part of her big girls, her her dancing troupe and to appear at this um, American music festival called uh, Bonnaroo. It's it's something I don't quite know. It's not Coachella. Anyway, I think it's Bonnaroo. And uh, so in this process then, obviously you have Lizzo who is, for want of a better word, this larger than life character, right? She is big, brassy and funny and really interested. And there is no denying this takes a lot of cues from the reality shows of the likes of RuPaul's Drag Race, right? Mm. Insofar as that even some of the vernacular that Lizzo uses is identical to the stuff that RuPaul says, right? And it is the same kind of slightly genre bending in that there's cursing and <laughs> there's uh, silly, like there's there's a sort of deliberate mockery of the whole kind of format of reality TV show while also being a reality TV show. And they do different challenges. So, you know, the kind of things that the big girls end up doing are, uh, you know, they, they, they have to have a dance off one week. They have to take part in a marching band in a stadium with a marching band to keep in formation another week. They do a naked photo shoot one week. They take part in a music video and they have to learn choreography. Perhaps the only place where I think it, you know, and right, if you like reality competition shows, this is perfect for you, right? It is entertaining. It's funny. It's lively. It keeps on moving. It has a great pace. The challenges are maybe a little bit repetitive simply because at the end of this, they are becoming a backup dancer for Lizzo, but not like, but they're not doing, you know, like ballet one week or jazz one week Mm. or hip hop. You know, they're doing the same kind of Lizzo dancing every single week. Right. (laughs) So it's maybe a little bit repetitive there. And one area, another area where it slightly falls down is that like the judging is a little bit nebulous. So uh, Lizzo is backed up by uh, Tanisha Scott, who's this choreographer, and then two or uh, three rather of her original big girls, uh, Chanta, Sherlene and Grace. And they live with the with the other big, with the aspirant big girls when they are uh, living in this house in Los Angeles. And they either get the Juice Award or the uh, 100% That Bitch Award, right? Every single week, which are Lizzo quotes. Right. And look, it is funny. Like, if you like Lizzo, right, here's the thing. The entry point of the show is probably liking Lizzo, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And if you are, if you like Lizzo's music and you like her 
as a performer because she is this, you know, she is a big character, like, mm. you know, in every sense of the word. She stomps the stage, she sings amazingly, she plays the flute, she dances around, she just fills the stage fully and, and is very aware of what her brand is and what she wants to represent her and and says, you know, in that intro that we that I pulled the clip from, you know, like I, I, I've been scouring, I asked I've asked professional dance uh, agents to send me bigger girls and they don't have bigger girls on their roster because those kinds of girls don't typically get representation. So this is why I'm doing this. And it is a very entertaining show if you like that kind of thing. Right, okay. Uh, so, but do you know, like, by episode five, is there any Jeopardy or we just wait until the end to find out uh, um, who well, gets in and who doesn't so get some, in? Some of the Jeopardy that happens is, I guess, the physical toll that dancing takes on any dancer. Let sure, alone, you yeah. Know, and, yeah. And, and, you know, they talk at length. There's a kind of, a, there's a very interesting moment in, in maybe episode three where the dancers are talking about how, you know, some of them are prof- are maybe, like, trained amateurs if that makes sense right yeah. you know they have taken part in dance classing but not to a professional level and they're they're talking about how they're not trained you know because they are bigger women they're they're not trained on how to sort of um, position themselves in such a way that they won't injure themselves so they have these ongoing injuries and that is how some of them fade away throughout the process that they right. they, they get injured along the way but yeah, there is, it is perhaps lacking maybe a little bit of that jeopardy because you are not, you know, it's not as cutthroat as other shows where people get, you know, tossed at the end of the week and, mm. uh, or, you know, whatever, right? But the the upside of it is that the characters, the cast of contestants are very entertaining and you get to see more of them as the process goes on because they're not being <laughs> eliminated. Fair enough, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, we'll move on to our last show. It is Russian Doll. All episodes of season two now streaming on Netflix. Here's a clip. Tell you what I did not expect is for the six train to run through some kind of a wormhole. Hit me, please. You're a time traveler. Uh, I prefer the term time prisoner. What happens to me in the future? Mm. I don't know who you are, guy. Danny. Holy shit. Crazy Eddies. No way. <laughs> I wish more women had that kind of enthusiasm about my day job. Look at that. I'll tell you your future. In about a second, you offer me a cigarette. Prescient. Thanks, Danny, from 1982. Nadia, oh, and uh, not to piss in your drink, but your boss goes away for securities fraud. There you go, uh, Danny from 1982 there. Why was there such a big gap between the first season of Russian Doll and this one? So for a couple, well, COVID is the main reason, mm. right? So Russian Doll season one, which is an excellent eight season, eight episode show, absolutely loved it, in which Nadia, played by Natasha Leone, is caught in this recurring uh, Groundhog Day loop, uh, was made. And it, it, the generation of the show is actually quite interesting. So she and Amy Poehler and this comedian named Leslie Headland, they made a show together, they made a pilot together called Old Soul or Old Souls, I can't quite remember, which also had Rita Moreno and a couple of other famous older people in it and uh, it, it didn't get picked up and from that they came up with the idea of Russian Doll which debuted in 2019 pre-pandemic a big big hit a big critical mm. hit nominated for uh, four primetime Emmys including Natasha Lyonne as best actress in the like category of death that year it was the most competitive category going and um, 
and it won a couple of technical Emmys as well. I think it won four or three Emmys as well. One for costuming, actually, which it does have excellent costumes in. Um, and then they were taking their time with making season two and production had started and it shut down because of COVID. Yeah. And now it has been long delayed, but it is certainly a welcome return for Netflix at a time where Netflix is going through a bad PR moment, uh, mm. there's a lot of like news about Netflix Netflix hemorrhaging uh, subscribers over the first quarter of the year, uh, and and certainly I think um, there's well uh, the, there's a general sense amongst anyone who's talking about Netflix that. Uh, some of its luster has maybe worn off at this point and certainly now that the other competitors have really upped their game uh, Netflix seems to have faded a little bit in in popularity and and that is certainly true Um, but Russian Doll is a really good return to form and this season sees Nadia instead of being trapped in a time loop hopping on a train and going back to 1982 where she discovers uh, she, sorry in the first season she, it's her 36th birthday and she is uh, caught in this time loop yeah. in this season uh, she is fast approaching her 40th birthday and hops on the train and when she gets off the train she's in 1982 but she's also in the body of her mother while her mother is pregnant with her so she has to try to unravel <laughs> this uh, this family mystery that actually was teased in the first season about missing gold I can't remember the Cougarans or whatever the yeah could be that yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, gold coins anyway mm. and it involves the Holocaust and um, and uh, a missing train in Budapest and then her uh, there's a another kind of there's a, a counterpoint to her in the first season uh, this guy named Alan and he is also caught in a time loop as well this time where when he gets on the train he goes back to the nineteen to East Berlin in the nineteen sixties and is seeing his grandmother's life and I'm sh- sure I haven't. Finished finish the season yet but definitely it will all come to a satisfying end because what I really love about the show is Natasha Leone, right? She has, her voice is just lovely to listen to this like you know Jewish American New York kind of uh, funny comedian voice and she is as much as Steve Coogan completely and utterly inhabits the character of Cameron, the producer, she does this as well. Now, it is a character based on her, right? So maybe the stretch is a little, not quite as uh, deft, but she is still just eminently watchable. Like the whole show is just kind of cool, right? The, the way it's scored, the way it's costumed, the way it's uh, the way it is written. The lines are funny and foul and interesting Everybody is really good in it and I love it. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay, James, uh, that's uh, thanks a million as ever. So the three shows we were talking about today were Chivalry, all episodes now streaming on all four. Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, all episode of season one now streaming on Amazon Prime Video and Russian Doll, the second season now streaming on Netflix. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, the threats that sex workers are receiving. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.